Hey, do you got to serve somebody or what? It's, it's not every day you get to do a Bob Dylan song at church. <laughs> but we were working on this song, you know, just couldn't help but think that, you know, Jesus came to this world not to be served, but to serve. So let's follow in his footsteps. <laughs> With a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Just serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be rich or poor, you may be blind or lame, living in another country or under another name. Well, you may go to church on Sunday, you may just stay at home. You may just talk religion, you might just be alone. You may talk religion or local politics, but if your heart ain't right with Jesus, this so you're on a stick, but you have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. But just serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, and it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, you might do some painting in a house or on a fence. Build a ramp and help for an easier entrance. You may think a teacher or fix a big for field. There's no limit to what we'll do, no limit to what we'll build. You may help and I serve, helping Brother Jay. You may serve with children, you may stay home and pray. You may sort through clothing, you may not sort a thing. You might serve food to many for the glory of our King. We're gonna serve somebody. Serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. Serve somebody. No, 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 it won't be the devil. Oh, we will choose the Lord. Yeah, we're gonna serve somebody. Serve somebody. Yeah, we're gonna serve the Savior. Serve the Savior. Yeah, we're gonna serve. Serve the Lord, yeah, we're gonna serve the Savior. Serve the Savior. No, we will serve the devil, but we will serve our Lord. We're gonna serve the Savior. Amen and amen. <laughs> we gotta serve somebody. We, it's, it's just a reality for us. We're in a set free sermon series and so last week we talked about being set free to live and and talked about doing the do's right because you can't really do a don't you know my premise is that don'ts are are bondage because a don't means that you're not going to do anything that it's inaction and that's a, a place of stuckness 
But if we do the do's of, of, of what we're called to as Christians, we're going to be pretty busy. So if we do the do's, we won't have time to do the don'ts, and we'll be about the work of, of God in the world, and we'll see the fruit of the Spirit happen. Today we're going to talk about set free to serve, and next week we'll talk about set free to transform the world with a specific focus in, in our families. The passage for today is out of Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled, keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So I wanted to first start with, you know, kind of a revisit of last week and, and do the do's. Robert Green Ingersoll is actually an agnostic, but this statement is really a powerful statement for us. In our era, the road to holiness necessarily passes through the world of action. It passes through, the, through what we do, not just what we say. You can say whatever you want, but if you don't do something behind that, then there will be no change in your life and there will be no change in anybody else's life. And Paul in our passage tells us that we're called to freedom, not as an opportunity just to serve ourselves, but to serve others. This freedom that he's talking about is not a freedom towards self-indulgence, although in our culture and in our world today, self-indulgence is a pretty common thing, uh, but it's measured in our response to our neighbor. Most of us probably know the, the comic strip Peanuts. There's a, pers a self-indulgent person in, in there. Her name is Lucy. Yeah. Oh, well, the whole name, Lucy Van Pelt. <laughs> um, Lucy uh, is the poster child for a self-indulgent philosophy. In reading a book to Lucy, Linus says this. He says, it says here the world revolves around the sun once a year. And Lucy replies, the world revolves around the sun. Are you sure? I thought it revolved around me. See, our natural inclination as human beings is to be most concerned about the world that we've created for ourselves. And any thought of others is certainly going to take a back seat to that. And that's our natural inclination, right? That's, that's what makes the most sense. It's logical. But is it what God asks of us? Is that all there is to it? Is it just about me, or is there something more? And while it must start at home, and we'll talk about that next week, as Christians, we're called to embrace a life that actually changes the world around us. And we should do that. Did you know that we have enough food in the world to feed everybody? That we produce enough food in the world to feed every person on the planet. It takes about 2,700, or we, we make about 2,790 calories a day of, of overall production of food. But average consumption of food for human beings is 1,500 to 2,500. And we produce 2,700. So why are there hungry people? <laughs> because Vicky's eating too many calories. <laughs> we have a distribution problem, certainly. Um, uh, we, we're not able to get food into the places that it goes, that it needs to go in order to feed everybody. 
Those are real things, but it's more than that. See, we are more concerned about our world, right? You know, it's a joke, right? Because I eat too much, but I mean, I do too. I consume more than what I ought to. And I don't consider what that might mean outside of this country or or this community. Because my focus is on my world. And again, that's what we do. That's where our focus is, is primarily on our own world. And that is a stance and a reflection for our culture and for our church. And I think it's something that we need to challenge is, is that what God is calling to us? You know, if we listen to, there's a number of preachers out there that if you listen to them, they're going to tell you that God's sole purpose is to help us to be happy and prosperous. That's not true. That's not what what it's all about. He promises us, us an abundant life, but it's not just about making money. In fact, true happiness for, for us as believers comes when we are involved in the lives of others and we see changes and transformation happen. But Je- this isn't a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew that we, ha- we would have a self-focus. In Luke chapter 24, he says this, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was going to be considered the greatest. Pretty typical, right, of the disciples? Oh, I'm going to be the best. Uh, Peter and John. I, I, it's me. No, I'm going to be the one. How do I get seated at the right hand? I want to be seated at the left hand. No, you don't want to be seated at the left hand. So they fought over this kind of stuff all the time. Who is going to be the greatest? And Jesus told them this. He said, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. He gave them this conundrum, right? Because the, the world wants us to look at things from the, from the perspective of prestige and power and, and control and all of those things. And Jesus says, no, that's not really what it's about. He washed the feet of his disciples, which they didn't like either, to show the model of service that we as his followers are called to. We are to be servants of him. I read a story about a pastor who was asked to speak at a Salvation Army event. And they were going to honor a member of of his uh, congregation, and so he went. And this is not the actual general that that spoke there, but I I wanted to show this picture because of the lapels. Because the speaker that that, that gave the speech was a general in the Salvation Army. And so when he got up to make his remarks, he began this way. He told the audience that he loved being the main speaker because it gave him an opportunity to explain his uniform in detail. He then smiled and said, there are just two things about my uniform that I want to tell you about. They are my two brass lapels on my jacket. That's the S and the S. He put his thumb under his right lapel and he said, the S stands for saved. I have been saved by Jesus Christ. Then he put his, his other thumb on the other one and he said, this S stands for serve. It lets the world know that I have been saved for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to serve. And then he said, quite frankly, folks, I go very weary of some of my Christian brothers and sisters who are always talking about the brass button on the right and don't have a clue what the brass button on the left is about. And that's a powerful reminder to us that what we do matters. 
that we're not saved just to be saved, that we're saved to make a difference in the world, that, that God sends his Holy Spirit so that he can empower us to make a difference in lives. God will work through us. He's working through us here. He's working. VBS was a great example. <laughs> 28 kids raised 600 bucks. A friend of mine for, for ISERVE, and then y'all made it up, got it up to, I don't know, what was another? Close to $1,800. Friend of mine, he, he works at, at Dunwoody Baptist. They had 600 kids in VBS, and they made $800. Think about that. 28 kids, 600 bucks. 600 kids, 800. You don't think God's here and moving? Got news for you. He's here. He's making a difference in life. These are going to make a difference in lives. Our, our school teachers in here, Vicki tried, tried to talk a couple of weeks ago and had a hard time talking about the, what it would mean to have received a card during her career. Just a card that said, you matter. We're praying for you. We love you. How can we help? That's the kind of thing that God wants to do here through us in our community, inside and outside the walls of the church. I can't wait to see what he does with, with, with support our schools. Who knows, right? It might just be a group, group, a small group here, but it might be the beginning of a support group system for school teachers and school workers throughout this area. We serve a big God who wants to do big things. And we, we need to not limit what God might do. I'm praying, that I, I hate that Corey lost her job, but how cool would it be if God moves and we're able to hire her here full time? Start praying. Start praying. God's a big God. Don't limit what he can do. We're called to do that. Called to have this outward focus. I mentioned earlier about um, invitation, or I guess it was during prayer time, to redevelop a, a culture of invitation. You'll see these. I put another. We've got all kinds of these. These are door hangers, and, and what they say is, we pray, hey, neighbor, we prayed for you today. On the back is information about us. There are stacks on both of the tables in the back. The EKG team, the Encouraging Kingdom Growth team, we're going to work on visiting people door to door and just saying, hey, this is who we are. And I, want, I hope that you'll join us in that because that's how relationships get built. But if that is a little beyond your, your current level of comfortability, Walk through your neighborhood with these. Now, here's my caveat. It says, we prayed for you, neighbor. <laughs> that, that means that you have to actually pray. pray for your neighbor. Take these. They don't do us any good sitting on the back table. Take these. Walk through your neighborhood. Pray. And if somebody, you know, we laugh and say, you know, they turn around and run when they come to the door. Don't turn around and run. If somebody comes out, you know, just say Hello. <laughs> It's okay. You don't have to ask them if they know Jesus. Hello, do you know Jesus? No, you don't have to do that. But here's evangelism 101. I just, meant, I just gave you three pieces of evangelism a minute ago. VBS here, 28 kids. We ended up with two food trucks. What it, why wouldn't you want to tell people about that? Why wouldn't you support our schools? Why wouldn't you want to tell people about this new group that's starting at our church? 
760 cards. Why wouldn't you want to tell people that we're sending all the... That's it, guys. Share what God is doing in this place. He'll do the rest. But we have to do a part of it. So take these. These don't, don't do us good, sitting in here. Take them with you. Walk through your neighborhood. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your neighbors. Get to know them. It might just be that God has a divine appointment for you with one of your neighbors who's out pulling weeds and might just need somebody to just talk to for a minute. You know, when Arbor Point first started, I can just about guarantee you that folks invited other people. How, how, anybody, Brad, you've been here forever. How'd you grow? By inviting. By inviting people. And then an interesting thing happens, thing happens for, for churches as they grow. You get to about 75, 100. Uh, you guys average at one point 135 folks a Sunday here. And you kind of get there and you, and you look around and there's 100 folks here and you kind of go, oh, we made it. And, you, and, and we stop telling people about what's going on at Arbor Point or we stop inviting people to, to come with us and just check us out. See what God is doing. So my challenge is for us as a congregation to get back to that culture of invitation. God's doing stuff here. He's moving. So just share that. It's that simple. But it won't happen unless we do it. Because it'd be kind of cool to fill this place up and then reach twice as many people. And then have to go to two services next fall. That's my target, my hope, my prayer. And then have to reach out even further and further and watch what God does in this place. I love what he's doing, but we serve a big, big God. Takes an outward focus. And a lot of times we think that, well, it's only special people that, that can do that kind of thing. Or it's for the young, or it's for certain groups. Well, let me tell you a couple of stories. One is, there's a lady, she's passed now. Her name is Sister Emmanuel. And, um, yeah, there she is. She began a ministry to reach the poor in Cairo. Um, in the Cairo, garbage, the garbage collectors were called the Zabaline, and there were 40,000 of them. And they would gather garbage and donkey carts, and they would go through it. That was how they made their money. That they would gather glass, plastic, tin, paper. They'd sometimes sleep with the, with, with the garbage. They didn't have plumbing, didn't have electricity. They lived in huts surrounded by litter. Uh, rats, ticks, fleas infested uh, the dump. Forty percent of their children died before they were one year old of dysentery or the measles or other diseases. Think about that. Almost half of their kids didn't survive to reach one year old. And then here comes Sister Marie Emmanuel. She was 63 years old. 63 years old. And she went to her superiors in Rome and asked, hey, can I go and live with these guys out in the Cairo dump? Do you know how old she was? She was 63 years old. Can you believe that? At 63, I want to go live with these, the poor, and share my life with them. And, the, and 
Here's the irony is they said, okay, go ahead. Now, she was making about $6 a month, and she was smart enough to know that wasn't going to go very far to make a difference with those folks in, in the Cairo dump. So she puts it this way. She says, I went to Washington, to Canada, to London, to Paris, to Belgium. I don't want charity. I want justice. You, you can't have a luxurious life all over the world when all over the world children are dying. In Geneva one time, I tell him, if you will not give me money, I will make hold up. She raised a million dollars. And they built a village that had a six-building peace center, kindergarten for 200, dispensary, dentist, uh, clinic, vocation center, taught folks how to sew, plumb, plumbing, carpentry, electricity, two soccer fields. You know how old she was? 63 years old. That's just crazy, right? At 63, you don't do stuff like that. That's old, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the gospel that's offensive. It's not supposed to be me. <laughs> 63 years old. You're not too old, okay? My point. You're not too old to make a difference. Now, I've been on several mission trips, personally, international mission trips, um, so John Bland's story strikes a little bit closer to home for me. John is uh, uh, actually is uh, from, from Prince of Peace Church in Buford, Georgia. And uh, he was a youth leader in 1997. And he put together a trip. They went down to Tenendega, Nicaragua, which is a very poor area with his youth group. And spent a week down there doing work, you know, as, as mission teams sometimes do, or usually do, really. And then they came back and they were like, well, we, we want to be involved and, and make a difference down there. So they began to plan their next trip for 1999 in the summer, and, uh, but before that could happen, there was a hurricane that hit in, in Nicaragua, and uh, the Chinandega area is close to Las Casitas volcano, and mudslides were triggered, and it wiped out entire farming communities. Over 3,000 uh, people were, were killed. Hundreds of families were displaced. And then the Prince of Peace group arrived to that horrific scene. And something happened for John Bland. After that mission trip, he came back, and, and he was moved to start a group called Amigos for Christ. And John is still going down there. And I got to be a part of a couple of mission, of, of mission trips that went down there. What they were doing was similar to what Sister Emmanuel did, only these folks actually lived in the dumps. They were, they were getting families out of the dump and creating communities for them. They built homes and, uh, and, and a center for them where they could live, and, and, and so that's what he began that process of doing, and one of the trips down there is my favorite mission story, so a cool thing that, that the families did was they said, okay, we're not going to move in until we can all move in, so they lived in what were called chompas, which were wooden poles with a burlap covering, and they were just tents, really, and that they would live in those while they built all of the cement homes, and then they would all move in together as a community, which is very cool. But there were like avenues down the middle of these chompas, and one, one day I was just kind of walking along, and, and this little kid, he was probably four or five years old, and he looked up, and he smiled, he saw me, and he did this. And he jumped up in my arms, and I grabbed him, and I swung around, and I set him down, and he laughed and ran off that way. 
and changed my life. You know what that little kid had in his life? Nothing. Yeah, he had joy, but he had no stuff. So maybe I don't need as much stuff. He had nothing. And he changed my life. It's amazing. It's amazing what happens when we put ourselves out there in service to others. Now, John, has, they, they've now given, I mean, millions of dollars of, uh, of gifts away. Of, they've built three different communities now there and pulled, I don't know, hundreds of families out of that living circumstance. And they're still very active down in, in Nicaragua. And that's a very, very cool thing. Because a youth worker, where's Harold? Ken. Went on a mission trip. Oh, wait, we're going on a mission trip. <laughs> the Olympics just happened to do it. Yeah. Are they still going on? Closing ceremonies tonight. There is a gymnast. Her name is Simone Biles who is the world's best gymnast and has no, shouldn't be, honestly. But she is. She was born in Columbus, Ohio in 1997 to drug-addicted parents who struggled to care for their kids. Biles and three siblings went back and forth between her mother's house and a foster home. Their fa her father had abandoned them and left them. When asked about her memories from those those days of back and forth, she recalled that one of the foster homes had a trampoline, but she couldn't go and jump on it. Wouldn't let her go jump on it. One of her memories. Her upbringing was chaotic, to say the least. She had bounced back and forth between state and foster care until she was six, and then her grandparents, Ron and Nellie Biles, adopted Simone and her sister and moved them to Spring, Texas. United Methodist Children's Home does a tremendous job in foster care and adoption, and we support them and need to continue to do so. It's amazing what happens in, in lives that just need a break. Now, Simone's typical week is pretty busy. She uh, trains on Monday and Wednesday from 1230 to 5.30. That's five hours a day. That's her short day. Tuesday and Thursday, and Friday is uh, 9 a.m. to noon and then back from 3 to 6. Saturday from 9 to 1. But you know what she does on Sunday? She goes to church. She doesn't work out on Sunday. It's her day off from training because she's a believer. And that faith has carried her through to an amazing place. An amazing place. So these are all kind of remarkable stories, right? That remar remarkable things that happen to remarkable people. Except this, I know John Bland. I've hung out with John Bland. John is, um, he has rough edges. That's, that's probably a good way to put it. See, he's you and he's me. Hear that, he's you and he's me. He was a youth leader that went on a mission trip and, and God transformed his heart and it has impacted thousands of people. 
Imagine if I knew Simone Biles, I'd find passion and faith at the heart of her achievement. Sister Emmanuel, I would find passion and a heart for the lost at the, at, 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 that enabled her to go and do the things that she did. If I knew Christy Ray, I'm sure I would find passion at the heart of what she's trying to do to support teachers. What's your passion? What's your passion? What is it that God is calling you to do? Because he's calling you. Everyone in here has a calling in their life. One of the reasons we, we ask you to, to volunteer to serve at ISERVE or with the Firewood Ministry or uh, Stewards with a Task, the SWAT team or the I Encouraging Kingdom Growth EKG team or go on a mission trip is something happens in our heart when we get out of ourselves and we go and we involve ourselves with somebody else. We are, we are not made just to be here for ourselves, and that's it. We're here to serve others, to make a difference. And if we're going to be fruitful and fruit-filled Christians, we have to every, look at every fruit of the Spirit and you're going to find every aspect of that fruit is a powerful thing for us to share with somebody else. Joy, peace, patience, kindness self-control, generosity. The simple truth. You got to serve somebody. In fact, you are serving somebody. You are. Who is it? Is it yourself? Is it others? Is it God? The key thing, and, and please grab hold of this, you choose. You choose. Don't let the world choose for you. You make that choice. Be intentional about where it is that God is, God is calling you and trust what's going on in your heart because, because he wants to move. John Bland didn't know the difference. He, I guarantee you John didn't know what was going to happen at, in Nicaragua just by him doing the things he did. Sister Emmanuel probably didn't think she was going to raise a million dollars. I'm just saying. Because she was like 63 years old. They made a choice to do the next right thing, to do the do's of their faith. And God took that choice and he made it big. He made it something that was impossible for them to do. Because that's who God is. Think big. Pray big. Anticipate big.